I envy you for cardboard cutout of me? The fact that you don't have feelings. Yeah. Because this cutout couldn't get angry this week like I have. Couldn't freaking argue in the shower like I have for five days. I have been just arguing like why? Why is everybody in this case pissing me off? Like this case honestly has about three characters that are sort of positive. Everybody else is just gonna make you like wanna punch a wall. <laughs> Literally like arguing in the shower. It was it was a great week. I'm gonna put you through a freaking roller coaster. That being said, this might be also one of the cases I was most passionate about. It's a listener suggestion. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can always leave in the comments like any of the further suggestions for the cases. I'll most definitely cover it. Like for example, I had no fucking clue. I have never heard about this case, and it's one of the biggest cases in South Africa, and it's mad. As I told you, it took 55 episodes, but I have finally found the case after every single paragraph, every single fact. I have, like, with the commenter, was like, so pissed off, so into this, though. But before I put you through hell, we're gonna go to heaven, because, what's this guy's name? I have found the website. So I was looking to tell you what the origin of the expression not here to fuck spiders, the Australian one, it was also the, like the name of one of the first episodes because I literally discovered it that week. I decided obviously logically to fit everything around that expression rather than the actual episode and the case. So this week I was like, okay, let's look into like that expression. There's not much of an origin there, but I found this blog post. It's it's aged so well. It was written so many years ago. It's aged so well. And it's just literally this guy wrote like all of the Australian expressions that he uses. And in certain cases, he wrote the origins of those. And I was like, I'm in heaven. This has to be shared. This has to be used on a daily basis. So today is a bit different of a spin-off of like how we're doing approaching this first bit. And we are diving into... Australian expressions. So, not here to fuck spiders actually might not have Australian origin. In Ian Fleming's first James Bond novel, Casino Royale from 1953, Bond says to the barman in French, Did I Google how you say this? No, let's Google it on the spot. <laughs> this is why I have a laptop. This is French shit. Uh, nope, nobody, nobody's pronounced this. Like, I'll put it on the screen and so that I don't butcher it. But this can be translated into, but let's not fuck flies. And Bond in this movie used it also to say, let's not waste time splitting hairs over the type of vodka used in a cocktail they were about to have, which was a martini. I'm not a fan of James Bond, if you can tell, because I'm literally just reading out what's written here. But whether this is authentic French saying or something that um, Ian Fleming made up, people don't really know. They just say it because it's the fun expression to be said. Other Australian expressions, dry as a pommy's towel. This is one of my favorites. This is the expression that suggests that something is so dry, it's barely seen or touched anything wet for a very long time. So, of course, this guy has given us examples of how it's used sexually. And the origin is poms, apparently, or pommies are how they refer to the Brits. So, them saying this relies heavily on the good old Australian belief that English people bathe no more than once a month. Okay. All right. Oh, by the way, I just got British passport, so I can confirm this is incorrect. Because born, born and raised, British born and raised here, can you not tell by the accent? Like, duh. And the similar saying that Australians use, and that from now on, 
I shall use at least once a day is dry as a nun's cunt. <laughs> it just makes me so happy. Now, the next expression is ugly as a head full of arseholes. Needs no explanation. <laughs> Needs no clarification. You can also say, according to this guy's research, this guy's research, if I had a dog that looked like him, I'd shave its arse and make it walk backwards. <laughs> also, the ways to say ugly is seen better heads at a piss trow, face like a busted arsehole, face like a bash in shit can, and head like a robber's dog. That I put in the script, I'm this close to moving to Australia because it's so offensive and so chill. Like, this is my country, this is where I belong. Then you have like slang for being drunk. So there is flat out like a lizard drinking. And if you googled, apparently, which this guy has done everything for us, lizard tongues are pretty shitty little buggers, and when drinking, they shoot in and out at speed. So lizards are apparently not the best behaved drunks, but the best synonym to this expression for me is happy as a bastard on Father's Day. Like, how fucking offensive is this? Like, this is some, like, Daniel Schloss comedy. If you don't know the comedian Daniel Schloss, please check the life out of him. It's the best fucking Scottish comedian that is out there. It's actually so hard to pick favorites, because the second I pick it, something else popped up in this article, and I was like, no, actually, I think it's this. I mean, dry as... Dry as an cunt is pretty much high up there, like one of the top three. But useless as a dog shitting razor blades. I was like, okay, this is aggressive. I love it. I can totally imagine it. Love that way of saying someone's useless as fuck. And then he goes off to name like some random ones where he didn't research the origins, but people used it since his childhood. So this is legitness. Carry on like a pork chop. This is like when your parents kind of tell you you're acting childishly, you're embarrassing themselves and like everybody. Built like a brick shit house. Pretty self-explanatory that it's for somebody more like bigger. Yeah, it's for somebody big. Couldn't organize a piss-up at a brewery. And this one, I swear, there is like a movie or something where I have heard this expression before and I can't place it and I hate myself for it. Because it's such a good fucking thing to just say that somebody just doesn't, can't organize shit. And then something that truly goes and comes around to describe the protagonist of this case and that's a few sandwiches short of a picnic. And they're just saying somebody's dumb. <laughs> But this guy say it doesn't necessarily mean just stupid. It can actually mean that like your brain is kind of damaged to a certain capacity. Like you just can't process information. And it's so freaking beautiful. So I put Kane Brimble, what a piece of writing, what a hero. I actually looked him up, but it's one of those like WordPress old posts. So like all of the social media signs are like the old ones and yeah, when I clicked on them, I didn't see that he was, like, tweeting anything and stuff. I wanted to, like, give the mine a shout-out. So, hey, if you ever decide to listen to this, which, you know, is apparently about true crime, but I talk about expressions as well. Kane, hit me up. I hope it's pronounced Kane, because it starts with a C, but then knowing Australians, fuck knows. And then my script goes on to say, I'd be okay with the episode titles forever being all the expressions. And then it just goes into the case. Like, there's no, like, interlude. There's no, like, fucking... I never fucking put a break that says, like, Hey, Maya, this is where the case starts. Go into the mood. You know, like, transition. So to tell you a bit about where this case is taking place today, it's taking place in South Africa, but it's like Stellenbosch, I think that's how it's pronounced. And this is the oldest town in South Africa. 
anything that you see in this case, like these houses, the golf estate where these people lived, is like a fucking Hallmark movie. It is where they would record one of those like romantic movies where people would go and literally they would be that rich that is just like horse riding or playing golf. Those are like the two pastimes. Filthy rich people, just beautiful freaking landscape where it's like, wow, you can see the mountains. It's like mountains in the backdrop of every fucking shot. That's where we are today. And Stellenbosch is a, is actually known as the university town as well. So it has like that youthful vibe, even though it is mainly like what I just said, which is like rich people settling down and living their best fucking lives. And that's the Zals Resort. Uh, so this is one of those like rich resorts, super protected by fans, by CCTV, by security guards patrolling this place constantly. And this will become relevant. So during the nights of 26th and 27th January 2015, between 6 p.m. and 7 a.m. next morning, this guy was doing actually five patrol checks and he found everything was as it should be. He even has done free bloodhound inspections. So he even went and carried around dogs somewhere around 3 in the morning, or actually 2.50, like they were pretty specific with this. And there was no alarms activated, so that meant there were no trespassers. Again, important. Electric fences, guards, bloodhounds. And not just that, but this state was protected to the point that the person that was to jump over the fence would have to wear protective material. Because this is, again, electric fence, you can't just, like, disable it. And even if the alarm was not to go off, the central room, where they were monitoring everything from, would have detected some tampering. So they would have detected that somebody has jumped over the fence. Why I'm telling you all about this? Well, because this is just to put you into perspective of where our crime is going to happen, because we are going straight into the discovery. <sighs> Let's do this. We're going to get so pissed off in a bad freaking minute. In 2015, 20-year-old Henry Van Breda killed his parents and his younger brother and attempted to kill his younger sister. He then tried to blame the whole thing on an intruder, ensuring he avoids the course of justice by all means necessary. It will take three years for the course of justice to finally find its way. What were his motives? Where is this guy? I'm putting you in the shoes of Captain Stein. So imagine you are a captain, like you're a police officer, right? One huge thing is, I'll come to this, I'm going to sit down somewhere, but this guy kind of specialized in this. Oh, here we go. He actually was involved in investigating 60 incidents involving balaclava-clad robbers, meaning like intruders. This guy, it's not his first day at the job, okay? You are coming into this scene, and the first thing that happens is um, you are coming in approaching this house where you have been called, and uh, what you see is a young 20-year-old man sitting on the stairs. Now, you have been warned, obviously, by a dispatcher that this is a family of four, that he has made a call, and, like, the mother and the father 
kind of look dead, the brother look dead, the sister look dead. Like, I think this is Henry's first mistake. This is why, again, you need to know true crime to do true crime because God, you can't. You need to at least try to fake empathy, try to like be there, try to act like you're upset about this, try to act like you want to save your parents. No, he's just sitting like on the front porch, like, nah. It's like, I left them there. They're the better of the past. Like, I would understand if, you know, somebody's coming up, like, to the house. Nobody really, like, told them what's going on. We'll listen to the call as well. Everything is a mistake in this case. But I would understand somebody's coming in, and you see, you know, a man sitting at the front porch. And you're like, okay, cool. Everybody inside is alive and well and trying to recover and process the crime. Nope, not, not in this case. First mistake. So now you as the captain obviously have to proceed, like process the scene and just see what's been going on, what was the weapon, what has happened inside. Nothing much seems disturbed on the ground floor. So literally, except that people have described this scene as like some of the most brutal shit that they've seen because the blood was going down the stairs, like because all of the family members, Martin, Van Breda and Teresa, 20-year-old brother Rudy, were killed upstairs, and his younger Marley, his younger sister Marley, will actually survive. But just in so many cases, and because of the freaking blunt force trauma to the head, she couldn't remember the night of the event. She actually had to, like, I have to tell it's Marley Simard because that's one of the few positive characters in this story, and it's one of those stories where you're like, oh my god, thank fuck that there was a survivor. She had to go through physio, she had to literally go and like learn how to like walk and talk and just move and move on with her freaking life and yeah so she had to go through physiotherapy and just therapy in general but she's fine you know living with the relatives doesn't remember anything and didn't really testify at his trial or anything like that everything has happened upstairs in his brother's Rudy's bedroom again remember that because it will become important and they find the X X was the murder weapon in yeah, all of the cases. And they find a knife. But the knife kind of seemed like it was hidden, like underneath Rudy's bed. It didn't seem like somebody just like dropped it in the act. It kind of seemed like somebody actually tried to conceal it as well. And Captain Stein, what he said at the trial that he noticed immediately, because again, it's not his first freaking rodeo, is that in these cases, yes, victims would act differently, but they would show emotion. And that's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, let's say this God forbid was to actually happen, like it was an intruder, and like my brother was the one to like have to call the police and be like, my whole fucking family. I think like a normal person would either, first of all, be inside, be empathetic, be like all over the place, losing their mind, like over their loved ones, trying to like cripple them. Like they would be fucking up that DNA evidence, like all over the scene. Or B they would be all dead, but also angry and be like, no, we need to find them. This is where they went. Like, let's go. Let's avenge them. Obviously, Henry does everything the opposite way. So a few things that happen now. Um, At the crime scene, when Captain Stein is talking to Henry, Henry said that he mentioned only one intruder wearing a balaclava and gloves. The intruder was black. (laughs) First mistake. I lost it so much. I had a full-on shower, like, for 20 minutes of discussion. Because there's so many people out there. That's why I was like, oh, wow, this is not just the US. This is not just an American racist problem. Like, where people stage fake kidnappings. This has been happening recently, like, 
fuck me. It's like Twitter is Twitter is a battlefield, literally. <laughs> Twitter is a battlefield. Twitter is a battlefield. What? Yeah, Twitter is really out there, and you know, like podcasters and everybody is trying to like retweet all of these missing posters. And then you have like all of these stories where it's like, oh no, this person has actually uh, faked her own kidnapping, and of course they have accused a black person of like committing something. And you're just like, wow, really? It's like, oh, because of the climate, you're like, no, no, let's just accuse the black person. Of course, they're going to suspect and like trust me and believe me. So this is when I lost the respect. I was like, I had maybe an inch, maybe a zilch of like, oh, but what if he isn't guilty? And this is when I lost it. And Marley was only 16 at the time. She suffered head injuries and had like her jugular veins severed. It's basically like she was really close to dying. It's actually a miracle she freaking survived and she spent a couple of months in the hospital and yeah had no memory of the day so Simon continues to interview henry and henry first of all yep said the intruder was black all of that one intruder then i think when they interviewed him in the police station afterwards he said there were two intruders and they were like anger your story keeps switching but his original story is that he was on the toilet he heard like some commotion he goes out to the toilet goes to his brother's room to check up what's happening. Then he calls out to his dad because he sees this intruder attacking his brother with an axe. His dad comes out. His dad goes into the room. His mom follows. Marley, his sister, follows. And then attacker just keeps slaughtering all of his family. But then the attacker, and this is reenacted in court. I'm going to play it now if you're watching this on YouTube. Then the attacker switches from an axe so he's trying to attack henry with an axe but henry because he's a fucking hero of the day manages to take the axe from him so he's like holding this axe by the freaking wooden thing but the attacker has a knife and then he pulls out a knife from the pocket and then he slashes henry a couple of times with this knife again i'll put the wounds up on the skin tell me tell me that these wounds don't look like freaking paper cuts. If you can compare this to like his whole family being freaking slaughtered, only one survivor, and even that, definitely not. Huge consequences. How? How did Henry survive this freaking attack? And I mean, because every week, obviously, I cover here somebody that switches the weapons. One other important thing, both of those items were for them from the household. Great. So somebody's coming in for a robbery, they don't rob up nothing from downstairs. They go upstairs. They slaughter the whole family. And then in the middle of it, they're like, Woo, I got you. I have another weapon. I brought an axe and a knife. Great combination. Completely logical. Happens every week. I cover it. It's just cover it every, every fucking week. What are you saying? That, that he's lying? But even from how he's describing it, it just sounded like this would have been... First of all, the most slow-mo thing, because if he actually also, if Henry was to have actually gotten out of the toilet and came to his brother's room, like what, this attacker is just completely not acknowledging that there is another presence in the room, like Henry's just chilling there while he like slaughters his family one by one, and then he's like, oh my god, there's this guy, he has been here all this time, let's attack him and then like, let's pull out a knife. What? It's just, how did you think this was going to be plausible? But the best was this YouTube comment. I'm not going to read it out. But I was like, my life has been made. Because this guy went through the roller coaster emotions where he was like, wait, did they check the toilet? 
<laughs> because if they check the toilet, if he was actually going out in a rush, he wouldn't have washed his hands, but he wouldn't have flushed that toilet either. Which means that, well, if they check the toilet, if there was poor pee in the toilet, that means Henry is not guilty. And I was like, wow, sir, do you work for the justice system? Maybe you should. Maybe you shouldn't. But that comment just made my fucking day. And at the court, what became prevalent from this particular scene in Rudy's room is that his father, Martin, actually had deep wounds on his back. So the judge said, South African trials don't have a jury as well, something I have learned this week. So the judge basically makes all the decisions. And the judge was a boss-ass man. The judge was like the Indian dad here. So judge Desai was like, listen, I feel from what I have seen is that this dad was trying to desperately like shelter and sort of like cover his son and shield him from this freaking ex-wielding maniac. The judge thought like the dad was probably being like, okay, well, he won't try to strike me like I'm the dad, you know, have some authority. Of course, that didn't happen. And just from what people have seen when analyzing this scene, they think like, and I think personally, like reading into the background, reading further into this case, that Rudy was like the initial target. Like there was some jealousy in the family. We'll speak about it later, but that the brother was the initial target. But then after him, like the one who got the worst out of it was his dad. And that is possibly because of shielding and possibly again because of well, some background to them. So Martin, who was 54 died with at least five explosives to the head and one to his neck. Mom was struck at least three times, and Rudy, before his dad tried to protect him, got also four axe wounds to the head. So it's clear he's going for the head, he's going for the face. This is kind of like with acid attacks, it's like clearly personal. Somebody, you're going for somebody's face, you're going for somebody's head, you want them dead. And daughter had at least four vicious head wounds and her jugular artery was cut, but she survived and she had like spent she had to spend six weeks in the hospital. Now we're gonna go into that period between what they actually found on the scene and the moment that they found him on his steps after he reported it. Because this again is controversial. It was heavily discussed. Why all of his actions in this period of time. So the sequence of events here is somebody goes into his house, he's on the toilet, he goes, defends himself only, his whole family is dead. He blacks out, so that's why maybe the knife is underneath the bed because he kind of dropped it that way. And again, the intruder just didn't remember to like take the knife with themselves. And the, again, the intruder just decided to drop these weapons that he again knew how to find in the house. Again, quite specific. I don't think that somebody would hold an axe and like that might explain why the knife was kind of underneath the bed. Again, super great. And in every story, what happens is the intruder drops both the axe and the knife. And not just that, but like, how did this come into his hand? But like, this is going to be believable. Because what, if somebody intrudes into the house and takes the weapon from that house, you would have thought like they took it all from the same place. Like, do they keep an axe in the like same freaking drawer where they're holding the knives? Most probably not. So, cool. again, getting carried away, getting super passionate about it. He is he gets unconscious now. And in his story, he has no he has lost completely the idea of time. He's unconscious because he is bleeding will become important again because of his paper cut wounds. So he's bleeding, he's unconscious, he wakes up, he again doesn't know how much time has passed, and he tries to call his girlfriend first. Why? 
Why do you do it? Why don't you try to call the emergency services? Well, he's going to say why. So the girlfriend doesn't pick up. Note on the girlfriend, I'm not going to spend too much time here on her, just in general. So let me just get it out of my system right now. She believed as... I've watched this 60 minutes, I think it's like Australian show, really well done, like three parts, it's on YouTube for free, go watch it, if you can still stomach this afterwards. His girlfriend still stood by him, 2018, and completely, like, she said... For her, the only thing would, what would convince her is that if he came out saying he's guilty or if there was like CCTV footage, so like literally what she calls solid evidence, so whatever they presented as evidence apparently isn't solid enough for this girl, even though it was solid for everybody else. Got no respect for the girl, but sure. It's, again, like what she said in the interview, she doesn't know if she's going to like stick out and, you know, stay like, well, not faithful, but like stay with him forever so i hope she has changed her mind by now i don't know that's like the latest that i have known and that's it when it comes to the girlfriend but his first course of action is to try and call her now we come to the emergency call so what people have said afterwards or what they have found like on his phone is he didn't actually know the emergency number so henry has spent like some time living in australia prior to this so apparently he didn't know like what the emergency line is in south africa fuck me if i know so he's tried googling it and then he managed to like find the freaking number and he tried calling it one thing I need you not to do is focus on the dispatcher or whoever the person, whatever you call in South Africa, the person is taking this call because everybody in the comments is focused on this and yes, it's terrible and yes, she doesn't get it and yes, she doesn't understand the urgency and all of that. But just focus on the Henry because that part is creepy enough. So for about five solid minutes, he tries to explain where he lives. So I'll play some of that now. I am, yeah. I need an ambulance. Lots of... Um, goes on she can't find the area for like f between five and nine minutes um, I, I, okay what kind of injuries is bit that sounds like a giggle at the beginning of it and then at nine minutes this is at nine minutes that this woman asks like oh what's like what injuries are they having 
people could have died like 10 times over. Like, just by the time that this freaking, like, there are more cases where actually somebody reporting to the scene has been faster than this emergency call in itself. Also, this call has been made about three hours. I've found reports that say, like, between two and three hours, like, after the actual attack, like, some say four. So he waited, like, it's actually a freaking miracle that his sister has survived, because he just literally waited there forever. And I put here, just so I don't fucking forget this, but can I just point out, (laughs) and it will not be the last time in this case, how crazy you have to be to sit for four hours and wound yourself while at it. This is some telenovela shit, let me fucking tell you, because I watched enough of freaking Spanish soap operas. This is some freaking telenovela shit, but I have to take my glasses now, just because light is pissing me off. So... In telenovelas, if they're like super psycho and the producers are super psycho, they have always that one person that is like, well, (laughs) not always, this is like maybe happened in two telenovelas still. Maybe Henry watched those instead of true crime shows. Okay, for context, they have obviously examined his wounds and just even from how the blood flows, even those like really superficial cuts that you see, well, first of all, they don't cut his nipples. So, wow, this intruder must have been like so great. It's like one of those thieves. They're like, no, no, okay, I won't rob what you actually need. This is it. He's like, well, the way he cut himself is like he didn't, he just went up there and then he was like, it's my nipple. I don't want to cut through it. Well, fuck it, mate. Then watch enough of freaking telenovelas. But then also because he said like he fainted, so like if he was to have actually been on the ground, right, being lying down, then the blood flow from those wounds would show that. So the blood flow would like be leaking in that direction and then once dried out, that is what they would be able to see. But from the pictures, you see it's going like towards the freaking ground. So that means he has done everything standing up and he has just been chilling, sitting on his freaking ass with his wounds. Like... Planning, I don't know, what the fuck he was doing in his head, googling shit. So in telenovelas, you always have the ex-girlfriend that kind of goes a bit nuts. So what she does is she usually, there was this one where this woman was smacking herself against the car. Like, it was one of those scenes where I was like, what the fuck am I witnessing? And she was doing that in an attempt to, like, recover her ex, because then obviously she would either report the ex for, like, domestic violence, or if she, if he stays with her, then, you know, blackmail. Blackmail shit, basically. But uh, that just reminded me of that. Because do you know the level of crazy that you need to be to just sit with yourself with, like, dead bodies surrounding you? Bleeding yourself as well, as superficial as these wounds are. And then call the emergency services. Like, the level of psycho. That is when I was like, okay, now I'm scared of him. Like, we're going through stages. And at this point, I'm fucking... Henry reported the attack at 7.30 a.m. on 27th of January, according to the newspapers, but the attack actually took place around 3.30 a.m. So it's sort of like between three and four hours that he has waited to report on it. So three or four hours just sitting with yourself, like, what the hell are you thinking? This is what I think in all of these true crime cases where somebody literally sits with a dead body, and I'm like, what goes on through your freaking head? You're just sitting, witnessing death with, like, all of this blood harming yourself, hurting yourself as well. It's like, fuck me. Like, fuck me. And also, I'm just thinking, luckily, that Marley doesn't remember this because I don't think he was in the room. Like, I suspect he probably 
left the room because if Marley was giving signs of life, I couldn't find this anywhere, but I was thinking about that scene. Because if Marley was giving signs of life, he would have probably gone to finish the job. Like, I don't think that he cared about leaving his sister alive because he didn't care about leaving any other family member alive. So if she was even giving any signs of life at that crime scene, that's why I genuinely think like he was probably like either has gone outside of the house or was just downstairs or whatever, just chilling somewhere else. So before we find out his defense approach and go to the trial, let's discuss his mood and actions afterwards. So like when police investigation kind of was happening, like what he was saying then, was he switching his stories and what he was doing because he obviously went out on bail because he's a rich motherfucker. So all of the reports, there's obviously conflicting stuff that came up before, like that came out at court, and that is that like police investigations, from what I have read, have kind of described him as almost jovial, at like as like really chill and happy, and then obviously his defense team was denying that and saying like no, he was actually just quieter, he was in a state of shock. But what none of these say is that you know, again going back to like. If, you know, this was to happen, well, to me, honestly, as well, because I'm full of, like, anger management need, especially, and then, well, my brother, or whoever the fuck, like, in my family, if this was to happen, and he, somebody was to be left the only survivor, you would be the one literally chasing the police. You would be the person who was like, no, I want justice. No, I want to find this person. And he just seemed too chill about it. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll go for the police interrogation, of course. I'm innocent. It just seemed like he wasn't really interested in finding out who has done this, apparently. And that kind of, again, leads you to believe, like, no, you are the only one who has done this here, sir, and you're not even trying to, like, negate it. It's your actions, not your words. During the investigation, obviously, now the public and the media has taken hold of this, and people reported that he might have had a tick addiction, and tick is apparently a slang in South Africa for crystal meth. I haven't seen this as a slang anywhere else, is it? That would be interesting to know. And Sunday Times reported that a possible motive would have been that his allowance was cut off by his parents. And this is because he was kind of abusing alcohol and just drugs, and he was known for it, and obviously it was at that stage where it was shifting and changing his mood. And he also allegedly spent time at this drug rehab center, which was, again, one of those private places which can't reveal any information. So this is again presented at court, but could have just been like speculation. But people have reported that this guy did have some issues with drugs. So in 2016, so this is already like freaking almost a year afterwards, he appears at the court and obviously they set up a bail, which was 100,000 rund, like the South African currency. So of course he paid that up, and the only conditions were that he shouldn't leave the Western Cape. And the case was getting postponed because the state prosecutor, Susan Galloway, requested more time to get more of the computer and DNA evidence so to really try to like nail this guy. But in the meantime, him and his girlfriend, Danielle, actually got themselves arrested on 6th of September 2016 because of the possession of cannabis. But then they were granted bail, and this bail was literally like a thousand runs and then 200 runs. So this guy was literally just like, paying up his way just before the trial and really not showing, again, much concern of anything. He was just, I think, like, they arrested him at, like, the airport or somewhere. 
literally not even trying to prove like oh my god i'm nice and quiet and like keeping my head down before my actual trial begins nothing so let's go to the police statement that he has given that's gonna be obviously presented at trial so in this statement the attack was committed by unknown intruders so he in the end stuck to two people they wore dark clothes, gloves, and balaclava-type masks. So the assailant, he's like switches off. He can't fucking even stick to the story. He's like, no, there was one, there was two. Which one is it? So the assailant, whose silhouette he saw from the toilet door, was busy attacking Rudy when the dead Martin switched on the lights in the room and came to assist the son. So Martin was attacked, but now Henry adds that while this was happening, the attacker was laughing. And then him, apparently still in the toilet, again, something we don't know, which would be really helpful to, to know when he's sticking to his story. Like, was he just in the room, like a forebody? Or, well, according to him, this whole time he's in the toilet. So, Teresa, his mother, wanted to know what's happening. He doesn't actually recall hearing any sounds when his mother was attacked. But then the laughing attacker came towards him. Which again, this is literally the next line in the statement. It's like 15, then statement 16. So when when was the time when he left the toilet? This is why I was like, you're not making any fucking sense. Because obviously I've been obsessed with like observe and like, you know, I know you're lying. Like the audiobook and the YouTube channel. I suggest you watch this. But I think if this was the audiobook, I know you're lying. Um, I know you're lying. And that's that... Usually, when somebody is lying, they're kind of skipping the sequence of events. So, if somebody's telling you a story and then there is a particular part where they have just skipped and just it doesn't make sense or it's not in the right sequence, that that's a clear sign that they're fucking lying. So, in this case, so basically, he doesn't recall hearing any sounds of the attack upon his mother. The next sentence is the laughing attacker then came towards him. Did he find you on the toilet because you said you were in the room? Did you wipe your ass? Like, I mean, <laughs> at this point. And this is when the scuffle that I played earlier happened. When, like, the attacker pulled out a knife, attacked him, and then dropped it probably to the ground. And then, attacker fled the room, but Henry followed him. And again, it's not clear, but now is when the second intruder appears in the picture again. And they both speak in Afrikaans. This is when he goes movie-like. So, again, he throws the axe at the attacker, again saying, one attacker, what is going on? How many people are on the scene? You're not keeping this thing straight. And he lost his footing and fell down the stairs. So he literally fell in, like, the family's pool of blood, according to him, again, because... Everybody else that took, like, pictures of his uh, cuts said that they weren't going the right direction, so... He gets up, he follows the attacker towards the kitchen and out the back door. And then when he re-entered the house, he lost consciousness on the stairs and was unable to state and didn't state whether this was like due to shock or injuries or both. And he was unsure for how long he lost consciousness. Then he wakes up, calls the police and we go to trial with, with this shitty statement. Guess what? Guess what they do at trial? This is when, like, I had a, my, like, you know, my shower time when I argued with this decision. Like, yes, I think he's guilty. But also, as a defense lawyer, you need to be, like, say to your client, it's in your best interest when the whole nation thinks you're guilty not to take the motherfucking stand. Of course, what does Henry do? Just proving that he's a freaking psychopathic narcissist. He takes a stand. He's like, no, 
I'm gonna show everybody I'm innocent. I'm gonna reenact this weird ass ex scene. I'm gonna show everybody I'm innocent. Like a hundred mistake by now. A hundred mistake. He's never watched a true crime documentary in his fucking life, and it's obvious and it's showing. When it comes to trial, let's just dissect this. So, firstly, let's go to the actual premise of the robbery. So, for that to be correct, obviously somebody had to breach the estate. All of that security, all of those security measures I spoke about at the beginning of the episode. So the judge said, like, it's not impossible, but it would require reasonable amount of skill and knowledge of the security systems. However, again, the weapons were found on the scene, so somebody came very unprepared. The fact that there was the whole downstairs floor that nobody was on. These robbers could have robbed the shit out of this house without anybody noticing for a good amount of time. Why the fuck did they head upstairs? Nothing was stolen, and then there was no reason to wipe out the entire family. Like, if it was a robbery, like, then the motive wouldn't have been to wipe them all out unless they had to, unless literally, like, they caught them in the act and they were trying to prevent them from, like, going out and robbing them, which... Which brings us to, if the intention of these intruders was to kill everybody, why not bring their own weapons? And then flee with them from the scene. Conceal these weapons. <laughs> then I put, yeah, as Australians would say, he is, at this point, a few sandwiches short of a picnic. Not really doing great, are we? But not just that, but I think, like, this is when I wish I wasn't scared of animals and that I was, like, a pet lover and that I had this love for dogs because, again, the dog is... The dog is telling a story. The dog here saves the day. Well, among like him being stupid and <laughs> his fucking stupidity saving the day. But the dog didn't bark at the intruder. However, Henry said that this is because the dog named Sasha was the opposite of a guard dog and would not have barked on unusual sounds in the house. Like, oh, well, what? sorry. Any dog would bark at the unusual sounds in the house. Like, their dog is literally barking when, like, something is happening, like, on the street, far from the house. But the domestic worker that worked for the house testified, and they were like, no, this dog would bark at me, like, even. He would bark at literally anybody that didn't live there. Like, he would have alerted the whole freaking neighborhood. So, of course, because Henry's on the stand and just ruining, not a single thing that he said worked into his favor. <laughs> not a single thing. So he said, okay, no, 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 I can, I can contradict that. So they barked at the domestic worker because the domestic worker played with Sasha, so Sasha found him excited. That's why when the dog barks when they're excited, but that wouldn't mean that they're excited at all if somebody is attacking the house. No then the dog doesn't bark. If somebody attacks the household, the dog doesn't bark. Now, the alarms. So this is, like, from... You can find, like, court transcripts and shit. And it's super boring and stuff. So, okay, the alarms. The alarm section is where I feel the defense might have actually had some leeways. Because apparently... I'll try to, like, summarize about five paragraphs from how I think I understood it. Again, this is not super interesting, so you won't find it in, like, documentaries on this or, like, news broadcasts. But basically, the point was that they had, like, certain alarms that would be, like, test alarms, right? And then when those would go off, people wouldn't be, like, alarmed because they'd be like, okay, that's just, like, doing a test call, nothing happened. 
But still, what the prosecution was saying is that the fans would have alerted them. Remember the control room. So even if, yes, certain test alarms that they were like doing some tests at that point were going off and nobody was checking that, that it still doesn't mean that like, you know, people have breached into this property. That's sort of a summary. Again, it kind of allowed the defense to be like, well, why do you have these test alarms and why are you not controlling them? Like somebody could have actually come in. But then they don't proceed to like give evidence, like this is the person, this is how they have done it, this is the entry point, you don't see none of that shit. <laughs> none of it. So the defense here is like, I, I can feel that they were excited, they were like, oh, this is how we get them. What if they didn't go above the fence? What if they went underneath the fence? You wouldn't have known. Were there any holes dug? And they were like, no. It's like, okay, okay. What if they, you know, dug the hole? Then they covered up the hole. And they were like, okay, we checked for footprints. Like, this is not... It's like Detective Stein. It's Captain Stein, okay? It's not his first day on the freaking job. It's like, no, we checked everything. He's like, well, there was movement that morning. There were people, you know, running and shit. This is like a rich neighborhood. They're like running at like 6 a.m. It's like, no, it's 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 different when it's like, you know, footprints going this direction. <laughs> and the footprints going like, they have just, you know, dug a hole like it's a fucking prison break on this rich-ass property. So they were like, no, there's just no basis for the hole and stuff. But also, remember that the intruder had to be wearing protective gear or clothes to prevent from, like, shocking. So even if he's digging a hole, he needs to know exactly how deep this hole is. Either that or they're freaking dying from an electric shock. That defense went to this whole possibility because they're like, okay, yes, it would have taken a lot of effort, like, not to get electrocuted. However, what if they had a residence key card, right? What if somebody, it's the easiest way, you know, somebody might have been having, you know, an affair and, like, have gotten the access to this key card to the property. And again, this would mean either this was given consciously to them by somebody who wanted something, like, who wanted his family killed, or it was stolen, and then everybody at the court testified that this family had really no enemies, like nobody that would go to this length and to this extreme. And then, of course, a lot and a lot of things, and this was such a focus, so this is like a good chunk of like everything in court, was to do with injuries, obviously. Because, well, it didn't look like the same intent was shown, the same force was shown to the whole of his family versus Henry. And it was very clear from the injuries, well, first of all, that they were much lighter, but also that they were very possibly self-inflicted compared to everybody else in the family. To which I put, you didn't care about your parents' nipples, you freak. And then I put, put this on a shirt. Yeah, I'm not going to put it on my merchandise, but if you want to, sure, I'll sell it for you. <laughs> yes. The, the, the way the defense put on this, that maybe could have used somewhere else, really, because everybody in this story is like literally a couple of sandwiches short of a motherfucking picnic. They put all of the freaking weight about this injury. And the fact that, because everybody obviously saw him for how they saw him because of how chill he was, how he waited for about three hours before calling the emergency, and then that emergency call kind of is just like digging your own grave with it because he just doesn't sound like he's rushing anybody. And then he's sitting on the stairs, just no urgency, everybody's chill, let them all die for like to make sure that they're dead kind of vibe. So they had a couple of experts, like brain surgeons, 
to testify that he has suffered a concussion. But everybody on the prosecution side basically said the abrasion is just not that hard. So, like, prosecution side is saying that with the amount, like, from what they have seen, like, his bruised eye, like, bruised side of the head, which, again, means he was sitting upright because, remember, the blood and the flowing and hitting himself. Fuck me. Fuck me. Or, it, at best, at best, it means, like, his family members were putting up a fight and, like, it happened in that process. At worst, it means, like, this guy is actually fucking batshit crazy sitting and hitting himself while waiting to, like, ring up the ambulance. So, obviously, prosecution is saying these are not serious enough, like, for him to have blacked out for, I think, in the end, it was two hours, 40 minutes, for three hours wouldn't have happened. And then, obviously, his defense is being like, no, this is a concussion, like, his brain was swollen. And if you remember, it took a lot of time to get, like, the computer and his phone records. So, like, the defense was relying really on, like, really small, tiny things, because they knew probably as well that he was guilty. So, when they looked at the phones, like, they found words like emergency in South Africa, but even those words were, like, spelled incorrectly, and they were like, oh my god, he had a concussion. Like, you see, he hasn't even recovered from this. He was, like, desperately trying to, like, find the ambulance number. But then, the word ambulance and number were spelled correctly. So, like, okay so what emergency is more complicated to spell south africa what it's like literally where you were born and raised but sure and the judge in the end said like yeah this could just be like stressful circumstances it doesn't necessarily mean don't put this much weight onto this it isn't like indicative of a medical freaking condition and also what the prosecution said like he was selective. And remember how I told you, like, when where I spotted a lie when it comes to his statements. So it seemed that in the case of his concussion, he kind of sh- suffered short-term amnesia, you know? So, like, that's sort of, like, what the defense was saying here. However, from what everybody is seeing, it's more of a selective memory loss. So he's remembering certain parts, and it's like, one or two intruders, who cares, really, after all? Just as as long as you think it's not me. And I put here, like, there's no doubt in my fucking mind, had his girlfriend responded, had she picked up that phone, that he would have used her as a freaking alibi and would have fled. Would have tried to, like, flee and be like, no, I was never there. Just cleaned up himself and just tried. Because I don't think he knows enough of DNA evidence. He's not smart enough to have actually just persisted. Like, he would have definitely... I think his first plan was get the fuck out of here. And that's why he called his girlfriend in the first place, because why do that? Like, if you are doing this by yourself, if you are, like, postponing it only to call the emergency services after all, I think he was just, like, weighing his options for about three hours and then decided to actually be like, "Mm, I'll just, you know, say I'm innocent. So the trial ended in this judge taking five fucking hours to summarize this. I can just imagine him like he's like an Indian dad. Listen, it's a power machine. He was just summarizing all of the events. He said that one brother, that Henry, <laughs> with this posh ass last name, I definitely did not expect this is how it's pronounced, but hey, apparently it is. He told him he's unimpressive as a witness. This guy was like, yeah, let me roast you a bit, mate. And... So it was like, during 66 days of trial, you were unimpressive as a witness, and the, the result is inescapable. He said this is a story of a wealthy white man, barely out of his teens, killing his family with a property-derived fortune of some 12.5 million. 
motive if we are talking about it, just, you know, mentioning it briefly there. So he gave him three life sentences, plus 15 years for the attempted murder of his freaking sister. And then he was like, let me sprinkle, let me do a bit of a sprinkling, additional 12 months for obstructing the course of justice, you motherfucker. Like, basically just, just for everything. Just for, like, trying to freaking, like, getting yourself on, on top of this, like, another charge of, like, possessing cannabis, like, trying to get the fuck out of this situation. Nah. So let's go and discuss a bit of background to understand a bit, like, where would the motives come here, you as myself, you're thinking that he's guilty. If you're thinking that he's innocent, please tell me which part, which part, Lean, which part made you believe <laughs> he's innocent? Which part? Just comment on it. I want to know it, because this is the one where I was like, I could bet, I could bet, I could bet my life. I, I, I could, I mean, I don't want to bet my life for this fucking cunt, but if it came to that, this is the one where for me I was like, nah, nah, nah. Nah, he just hasn't seen a fucking true crime show ever. He didn't even try. He didn't even give me, like, a valiant attempt. So, hey, one breda family. Let's get into them. There was this paragraph that was super personal. I was like, I want to quote this because this is the best. It says, it's a mighty fall from grace for a boy who once attended prestigious Scotch College in Perth and went to study physics at Melbourne University, to which I put red flag. Who the fuck goes to study physics? Mm -mm. Red flag. At least I love all of you physics people, but if you actually go to study it, why don't you specialize in something else? comes from a girl that did like journalism and then masters in criminology because that makes sense yes so but i just put red flag red flag who the fuck why why is he studying physics Mm. his brother and his sister also attended top schools they were like filthy fucking rich rudy was better in judgment he studied engineering and all of them kind of studied in melbourne well well actually one breda studied in perth their wealth was estimated at about 70 million, and how, well, Martin was a managing director for the South African branch of Engel and Fulkeres, which is this German company that has about 520 residential properties and some commercial offices, some commercial offices. So it's like selling the industrial space, investment properties, retail, like offices, office spaces office spaces, property. It's kind of like estate, but it's more like brokering. Fuck me if I know. When I read this, I was like, he he was just filthy rich and he could have worked in different countries. The parents moved to Australia to be like closer to their sons when they were studying, but then they sold that house and they decided to move back to South Africa in 2014. And this is only a year before they died, and I found that to be interesting because I think... Again, when it comes to these people that, you know, seemingly have a decent life, not like moody, not like abusive childhood or anything, that it's kind of like what proceeds close to when they commit a crime that mostly tells you about the motive and about why they have done it. So his dad at this point was also developing a private school at Pretoria and has founded a company that tracked and recovered stolen vehicles. So this was like on top of the property group Engel Engel and Volkers. This next bit reminds me, and I think some articles as well, from what I have read about the case of Eric and Lyle Menendez. I'm not sure if you're like familiar with that one. I haven't covered it on the pod. It's these two brothers that decided to and plotted killing their parents, basically. But with that case, unlike with this one, that all stemmed from sexual abuse, apparently. Again, it was like dominant father in the family, 
that was just literally putting pressure on everybody. It was that kind of family where like everybody had to superficially appear like they were doing great, they were doing amazing, all of that. So that part kind of does apply in this case, minus from everything that I've read of any serious like abuse or like any sexual abuse in the childhood. So certain family members have reported that Martin has been strict and that behind closed doors it wasn't like all as it seemed. Marley's ex-boyfriend actually described the family fight where Martin was apparently commenting on Marley's, so the sister's, weight gain. It was reported that he would consistently tell Henry that he's a loser and a dropout, he isn't doing as well as Rudy. Again, everything was directed as like, well, look at this, like Rudy's doing the best, you know, being the oldest. And then Henry and Marley, like, you're just not following up, like you're just not as great as your older brother. Which again, remember when I told you that it will become relevant that everything happened in the brother's room and it all started with a brother, because I think that's where the anger was aimed at. And the family friends also at the trial described Henry as a bit of a black sheep and that he was always against this perfect backdrop that one brother family was trying to implement and to show off to the public. And that he also contrasted his brother in particular because his brother was described as this art by this article as gorgeous, sporty and academic, had a winning smile. I love how whoever wrote this fucking article was thirsty for Rudy. It was like, whoa, the picture of like his brother was just like yeah, winning smile. He turned everything he touched to gold. Chill. <laughs> chill. Like, give us effects. No, nothing gives effects. This is pretty much it. And there was one newspaper source that I have read that has quoted that Martin and Teresa, according to Martin's twin brothers, threatened to cut Henry out of his family allowance if he carried out to lead his lifestyle and use drugs. And then this only happened a weekend before the murders, so that, you know, this was kind of like destroyed it broke the camel's back and it really made Henry be like no I need to do something about it. So what do we think motivated this this human being? Well there was this whole article that analyzed like every single part. My personal opinion mix of two things. So he is prolonged long-term use of drugs that probably made him think all sorts of things especially because we have to remember he was 20 years old at committing this crime so his mind and brain was still kind of you know well, not forming, it was still in the process where you wouldn't make reasonable decisions without drugs and alcohol. That, on top of everything else, we're definitely not thinking clearly. Then it was the definite rage towards the brother and then following with the father. So, And I think it was more towards the father, so it was more like attack the brother and then by seeing probably in that moment that his dad is actually trying to shield his brother after like all of this that just proved to him well now I have to continue kill everybody because you know nobody understands him like his brother is this golden child and he will never be so so he has to eliminate everybody else in the family and then I think it was probably in the back of his head for quite some time but like it was just trigger after trigger in the past year since they returned to South Africa and nothing has changed his brother is still the golden child the change of the environment didn't lead to any changes and then the final thing would be his parents trying to eliminate him from his will and just setting up the ultimatum. Because, of course, if you are an addict, you will not deal with an ultimatum. But then this whole article is kind of saying all of this. And, and this is the one thing where, like, I don't like to use the term lightly, but I do agree that Henry might be a psychopath. 
just based on how he reacted to all of this, just lack of emotion. But this article and the quote by neuroscientist Joshua Buchholz says that the lack of emotion isn't the only thing that drives psychopaths. So it's also the overvalue of the pleasure associated with getting what they want. And he said that the brains of people with psychopathic tendencies are rich with dopamine, so that's the reward chemical that makes you seek out the pleasure. So this would have kind of been like a drug hit, like a dopamine level hit, which would actually maybe, maybe somehow to a certain degree explain him being able to be that calm and just sit with himself because he probably enjoyed sitting for those three hours because he was like, well, killed like all of my problems are left behind. But this was one of those cases because when I research, I look at pictures first and then I'm like, okay, cool, is this worth, like, is this giving me something? Do I really feel the, by all means, necessary factor? With Henry, the first thing I noticed was the eyes. Even with the pictures with his girlfriend where he's, like, apparently smiling and happy. Listen, my dad always taught me, look at the eyes. Don't look at the smile. Always, when they're smiling, look at the fucking eyes. It's just such deadness behind the eyes freaking jeffrey Dahmer looked like life and soul of the party compared to this guy <laughs> literally and he had like one of the deadest fucking eyes i was like okay we're dealing with a psychopath i have read nothing about the case i was like no this guy <laughs> there's something wrong on like a human base however obviously it's not really black and white so he had had drug tests performed him after they picked him up for the scene, obviously. There was nothing in his bloodstream. But then, again, this might have been, you know, one of those long-term effects where he was taking drugs in the past and I maybe has cut it out for a week even. And we know that the first couple of weeks when you cut it out, anything, even if you try to cut out, like, sugar, any addiction, like, you're the most, which you're the most irrational, you're literally, like, in the withdrawal mode, so maybe during that week, he was kind of weighing the options. It's like, okay, do I cut this out, like this lifestyle of mine, or do I, you know, cut out the problem, the root of the problem for me, which is my parents and not the drugs. And according to the American Addiction Center's organizations, when it comes to methamphetamines, so because we said that he has used tick, we said that he has used crystal meth, psychosis can actually spontaneously reappear in people who have been clean of the drug for many years. And according to this National Institute of Drug Abuse, many individuals who develop substance use disorders also are diagnosed with mental disorders and vice versa, the other way around. So final conclusions, okay? Let me finally take these freaking glasses off. Yes, the family probably had high expectations of him. They are filthy rich. He should have probably known that since he was, what, trying to comprehend things, like four or five, right? So ever since then... He should have known all this and seen like how the brother is treated, how they want him to behave. He went on to study, so he complied to certain norms that his parents tried to impose on him. Again, plenty of people have strict parents. 99% of them don't go out to freaking kill them. Don't quote me on the stats. But, yeah, the majority of them don't go out freaking slaughtering them and inventing this whole ass story. And I would say never forget how calculated this was. Never forget how he tries to blame it on a black man. What he does right in the aftermath of it. How he tries to fake it. How he sits. Literally, if you were to believe me and everything that I have said today. How he sits for like three, four hours. Just chilling. The freaking call where he had no matter of urgency. What he has done afterwards. He was on bail. Was he ever trying to like, no, I need to bring justice to, to like my parents. I need to like avenge their death. I need to find whoever has done this. 
no. That all screams guilty as fuck to me. So that's the case of Henry Van Breda. What the fuck is that pronunciation even? This one was a fucking doozy, like, <laughs> literally every single day. Like, I was, I was in bits, I was in the shower, I was losing my fucking mind. So, I don't have the your next Zoom call bit for you today. Listen, I need a chill piano, like, a meditation after this one, because it was such a mistake. But you let me know on the socials that BAM pod or via Gmail, podbam at gmail.com. What do you think the motives are? Do you agree with me? Do you disagree? Do you think he's innocent? Please tell me what convinced you if you do, because I'd love to hear it. But now, I have to leave you. you probably, it's probably been one of the longest. One of the longest. So you have been avoiding the work for over an hour right now. And I have to leave you. I have to leave you. Let, let, let you live your Monday. And let you live your life. In such a way where you don't snap because somebody sets you up the ultimatum. You let them go and you live your best life. Or you let the drugs go. You know, one or the other. You you don't slaughter your whole family. <laughs> Pretending there was an intruder. Using the freaking tools from the same house. Or just to avoid all of that, if you are there with the anger management and if you are getting therapy for yourself, don't put an axe and a knife in the same drawer. Yeah. <laughs> So that, those are my conclusions for this week. So until next week, until next Monday, you know what to do. You keep making the world what a better place. How? One motive at a time. <laughs> Bye, fuckers.